Welcome back to Behind the Headlines. On today's episode, John is speaking with Eric Gartner and Leanne Smith. They are editors of some of our newsrooms here at MLive. He's going to talk with them about some of the top stories from across Michigan in 2022 as the year comes to an end. As always, here's John Heiner, Vice President of Content for MLive. Hi, John. Thank you, Jessica Shepard, for that wonderful introduction. And thank you for joining us today as a guest producer and co-host on the last episode of the year of Behind the Headlines. Our normal producer, Eric Culcheran, is off on some much-deserved PTO. Eric, happy holidays to you and your family, and also to all of our readers. You know, Jessica, at this time of the year, we in the media like to do two things. Last-minute shopping, which I'm definitely guilty of, and making lists. We like to look back on the year that was, the big stories we covered, the important stories, those that our readers read the most and cared the most about. So. To help me do that today, I have two of our news leaders from our hubs across the state, from the Grand Rapids Press Office, Eric Gertner, and from the Ann Arbor News Office, Leanne Smith. Good morning, editors. So there's all kinds of ways you can look at at top stories, those that have the most impact. Sometimes it's a breaking news event. Sometimes it's coverage that we went out on our own and investigated something and did some enterprise. And oftentimes it's something that happens in our communities that is somewhat unexpected or, and that's why they call it news. It's a development that we didn't see coming, but it's important to people's lives. So we cover it. So, you know, today we'll talk a little bit. I have some things we'll talk about for the whole state, but I've asked Eric and Leanne to look at their halves of the state. And because we have eight newspapers in Michigan and they're, they're all over the state, and talk about some of the most meaningful stories and those that connected with the readers the most. So, Eric, I'm going to kick it off with you over on the west side of the state. What were some of the stories that really resonated with our readers this year? Well, John, I'd say had the biggest or that had the most impact, caught national attention, definitely the police officer shooting and killing Patrick Lalia. That happened way back on April 4th now, but it just ever since that, moment happened and we've reported the first, you know, news from there and it, it, it escalated quickly after the initial, you know, that a shooting had happened and, and to what it's become certainly has created like a wider discussion. I mean, the, the killing of George Floyd a couple years earlier certainly started a national discussion, but it really brought it home to, I would say Michigan, but definitely Grand Rapids, the Grand Rapids community that, that, that this had happened and it created a large conversation. Right. And for those who aren't familiar with this story, and that may not be very many people, but Patrick Loyola, like George Floyd, was African American, and the interaction was a was a car, it was a car stop, the traffic stop that that escalated, and when he ran from the police officer and ended in a scuffle, and the officer on video pulled a gun out and shot him to death. What are some of the angles of this story that make it? more than just a, another shooting. Because we had a story oh, sure. this yeah. week that there were over 100 you know, shootings by police officers of, of right. people in Michigan this year. But what set this one apart, both locally and nationally? Definitely once the video was released, that that certainly changed a lot of it. We had started hearing some you know, some discussion and there's some rumors. We called rumors at the time because we just didn't know because they weren't coming from any official sources about that that he that the police officer shot him in the back of the head. We've kind of had a split going on here, and it, you know it, a lot of these happened, and people choose sides. But regardless of the sides, you, you can't 
not hear that a police officer shot someone in the back of the head and not realize that that's different than, say, the other 99 that you just referred to that have gone on in Michigan over the last year. So that that certainly had something to do with it, that it started over a traffic stop. You know, again, that's another thing where you're where where someone at least comes to the encounter unarmed. You know, in this case, Mr. Leolia wasn't wasn't carrying a uh, gun at that time and ended up being a struggle over the officer's taser, which is what kind of this whole now the court, you know, the legal system that's that's revolving around that that aspect. But that's that's what made it really different. And I think what sparked, you know, protests in Grand Rapids and in other in Lansing, too, after the video was released, that certainly changed a lot with this with this case. A couple things, elements to the story that I'm aware of struck me is there have been ongoing issues between police force and minority communities in Grand Rapids. So there's always already some sensitivity there. Number two, you know, there's a lot, and I hear from readers, and some of it was, you shouldn't run from police, you shouldn't resist police. He, you know, and the video shows he was grabbing for the taser and he was resisting. So that's, you know, open for, as you say, the legal system to decide whether it was justified or not. But also in the vast majority of cases in America where a police officer shoots somebody, charges are not brought, and the prosecutor in, in the Grand Rapids area decided to bring charges. So that was a little bit of a a surprising element sure. there as well. Can you sure. tell us, our listeners, where it stands right now as we end the year? Yeah, as we end the year, we just had a had like a what they call a status conference in courts at circuit court level right now, and they set a, a tentative trial date for March 13th. And talking with you know talking with the longtime court reporters that we have here at MY, they say there's not a chance, you know, maybe March 13th, 2024, but there's not a chance of March 13th, 2023, even though that's what it's tentatively scheduled to start. There's a lot going on with that, that there's going to, there'll be delays to push that, that back. So we're, we, that's, that's kind of where it stands right now. But part of the reason that it's going to take longer is the defense is, is even appealing, which is, very rare. They're appealing the bind over from the district court level. So you don't see that very often at all. So the, it's going to it's gonna take some time before we get to a trial, we'll if have, we have one. We'll have you back on a year from now. We can yeah. talk about where, right. where it stands. So right. yeah. Leanne, let's, uh, we'll jump back and forth here a little bit. It's sure. just a kind of conversation over coffee. But Leanne, looking at Ann Arbor area in the east side of the state, what were some of the biggest stories or the one that jumps to mind for you in 2022? Well, in Ann Arbor, I would say it's a, a couple of U of M related stories. Unusual. That's shocking. The first would be the, we call it the Schlissel dismissal, the firing of U of M President Mark Schlissel in February, I believe it was. He was having an inappropriate relationship with a subordinate. The Board of Regents took a a stand that we found kind of shocking in publicly releasing emails and other things, communications between Schlissel and this person and, you know, immediately firing him in a Board of Regents meeting. That's not a typical U of M thing to do, release publicly these things. We fight with them a lot mm -hmm. with FOIAs and trying to get information like this. So they were, you know, that, that sort of started the year. And then as we moved through the year, we had the arrest of Michigan football defensive tackle Mozzie Smith, who was stopped for a traffic violation, and they found a Glock 19 in his car, unlicensed, uh, and uh, a whole lot of ammunition. This traffic stop happened in October. 
but he was not arraigned until November after the Wolverines had beaten Ohio <laughs> State. And they've not suspended him from the team. He's still playing. So we've worked with our sports department pretty mm. closely in covering this issue. The latest being that his he, he pled down to a misdemeanor. The original charge was a felony for having this, this gun without a proper license. And he pled down to a misdemeanor. But his sentencing has been delayed till the middle of January. Conveniently after all playoffs are over. Exactly. Exactly. So that's that's obviously something that we'll be following. Leanne, Eric just pointed out that the wheels of justice turn slowly. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's a coincidence. And and also I'll go back to I think there's a you know part B of your first big story of the year is that the University of Michigan then hired a new president, Santa Ono, uh, who I believe came from the University of Washington, Vancouver. Oh, Vancouver. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. same same area. Same area. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he he's he's kind of stepped uh, into the job with a lot of energy, and he's been in the headlines a lot too. Yeah, he's a he's very into social media, which is also a rarity for U of M presidents. He he's very active with this, the student community tweeting a lot of stuff from athletic events and other activities going on across campus. Seems to be a much more public and personable president than U of M has probably had in a while. So. Yeah, it's a little changing of the guard there. You mentioned the Wolverines. I'm going <laughs> to throw something out that actually touched both of you as editors this year. And that was another Wolverine team called Wolverine Watchmen. <laughs> it was a militia <laughs> That it was kind of the game that could shoot straight, but in someday maybe it'll be a movie coming to a theater near you. But it was a gang of guys who were, you know, militia. They were sort of in the January 6th insurrection kind of mood of things. And during the lockdown here in Michigan and COVID, they hatched a plot to kidnap our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, and actually did some training for it and scoped out her vacation home and all that stuff. So those trials have happened both in Jackson because they, trained around Jackson and Munich and also in Grand Rapids. And you've, so you've both had a hand in that. Why don't you both talk a little bit about it's coming to, you know, justice that did work through the system this year and it's getting towards the end. So where, where do we stand with all of those cases? Well, I guess certain, in, in Grand Rapids in federal court, these were the federal uh, the, the suspects that were charged with federal crimes. We have two, two took pleas, two of the men and they were going to testify against the others. And then we've had, we had, Two trials then went up. The first one, two of them got were acquitted. So those are those, those two men are are free from these charges. And then we had two who at that time they got a hung jury, and then we've since retried them. The state has or the feds have, and they were both convicted of those crimes. So we're now waiting on sentencing for those two, and we're actually scheduled. I think week from today, one of them, and week from tomorrow for the other. So we'll have two sentencings for those federal cases. Yeah, okay. just in time for Christmas, Leanne, we had some verdicts in the Jackson area trials. Can you bring us up to speed on that? Yeah, we had three gentlemen that were tried in Jackson County courts. They were all convicted. They were sent and recently sentenced to, I believe it was between 12 and 40 years yeah. and have all obviously come out and said they made some very terrible mistakes. Yeah, a lot of times you see defiance, you know, and people who are, you know, insurrectionists or whatever. They were not. They they really regretted getting caught up in this. They were very emotional. I remember when the the, uh, the jury verdict was 
read in this case, you know, all three of them broke down and in tears. And I just, you know, that was to me was they spoke so tough during all of this, you know, training and and things they were doing. So I think that was a little bit of a as the emotional end to it all was a little bit surprising to to some of us here. Yeah, the, the law enforcement does not look kindly on kidnapping or assassination attempts of publicly elected officials. So they took that very, very seriously. John, I would, I would, I would add to it, it did touch Antrim County too, up where the, you mentioned the governor's vacation home. So we've just, we have, we have five people who there were just recently bound over for trial and charges there. So there's five, five other suspects up in Antrim County. And you know, a lot of this, I'm going to talk a little bit about statewide because these are the kind of stories sometimes we just, because I'm live, can cover the whole state. We do a really nice job with. And a couple other things, because we can't talk about everything in detail today, that there was a lot of apprehension. And I think people were watching with bated breath watching the midterm elections because of Michigan was a, a real focal point of election deniers and challenges against, you know, ballots and, and everything in 2020. So we Going into this election, I think there was a lot of apprehension about would this happen again. And a couple of things. One, without Donald Trump at the top with the big megaphone, it seemed like that all died down. The elections were orderly and there hasn't been really any. There's been a few. The Republicans who ran and lost who have said some things about, you know, it wasn't fair. You know, they want recounts or whatever. But it was compared to 2020, it was it was a really well run and a pretty mild election. Except the results, which were the Democrats, you know, got the House back of, and they haven't had that in a long time. They have the House, Senate and the, the governor's office. So it'll be very interesting going into 2023 to see the legislative agenda, the governor's agenda. But also, I thought one of the big stories was how we bounced back and had a orderly, calm, relatively calm election. And so I don't know if there were any election things for you, Eric and, and Leanne that you want to talk about in your communities or your region. There were a couple, there were a couple changing of the guards that might, that might merit mentioning. Yeah. I, I guess I would say we, we had the congressional race here in Grand Rapids where Peter Meyer is the, the well, still sitting congressman from here. And he of course voted to impeach president Trump. And it was, I mean, he, he did that seemingly days after he took the oath he had that vote come up and he voted to impeach and in the republican primary then he lost to john gibbs who was trump supported and endorsed and you know there was talk right away that when he voted to impeach trump that that this is what was going to happen and, and that is what happened and then surprise then the, the democrat hillary scolton she ended up winning in november and and in grand rapids that hasn't happened and you know for a, for a democrat to win in, in congress so so that was very interesting race that we we were watching yeah, in Kent County, which went slightly red in 2020, went, yeah. or excuse me, slightly blue, went a lot more blue in 2022. Well, you know, we'll watch that going into 2024, but there is certainly some change happening in, around Grand Rapids. Leanne, any major election re results here, Dan Arbor, that worth remembering? Not really. Ann Arbor stayed blue. It's it's always been blue. It stayed blue. So mm -hmm. it was, I would say the biggest thing was the lines of U of M students waiting to vote. It was, you know, they, some of them never, they were in line, obviously by eight o'clock when the polls closed, but they didn't cast their ballots until after midnight. There was just a huge turnout of students doing, you know, registering and voting. 
in Ann Arbor this year, probably more so than we've ever seen. And it, one of the reasons is is another big story this year, which was Prop 3, which was a ballot initiative to preserve reproductive rights, i.e. abortion access in Michigan. And that was a lightning rod issue. And it brought people to the polls, especially young voters. And those lines at U of M were just like the most visible evidence of that in Michigan, that people were activated and motivated to get out and vote. And that proposal passed, also a proposal on reforming processes and, and making it easier to vote in Michigan. So, and also some financial, another proposal on financial reporting requirements for people in the legislature. So it was a very interesting political year. Jumping back, Eric, anything else that stood out in, in West Michigan this year that you want to mention? I guess I would mention, because I think it, it's got potential to be a real game changer. This $116 million amphitheater that's proposed for downtown Grand Rapids looks to be like it's, you know, going to move forward and happen. And it's just got people thinking, you know, hey, is this the Van Andel Arena that just changed what downtown Grand Rapids, you know, was at the time up till now as being somewhere that people would go to and, and visit and come from farther away and destination type stuff. And this amphitheater could do something similar. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of interest in that going on. Mm -hmm. Leanne, Eastside, Ann Arbor, any other th stories stand out for you? Well, I, I feel like we We'd be amiss if we didn't mention the cannibalistic murder of Kevin Bacon by Mark Latunsky in the Flint area. Our Flint Journal folks covered that that case for the last, what, three years, I guess, mm -hmm. probably since, since the murder occurred. And he was what? given a, recently, this month, as a matter of fact, given a life sentence for the murder mutilation mm -hmm. of Kevin Bacon. So I yep. that was a, you know, that, that story, I think, reached out across the state as well, just by the brutal nature of the murder and, you know, how devastating it was. It, yeah. And we'll be writing more about that in this coming year because there's just so much to that story. The people, you know, it was a Christmas Eve murder. It was just as gruesome as you can imagine. And But there are a lot of people who knew and loved the victim and we're, we're talking to them. So I think we'll have even more in this coming year. Some stories that stood out to me that that we haven't mentioned, but readers also really liked this year, or flocked to anyways. I don't know if they liked it, but one was we had a, the rivalry between University of Michigan and Michigan State took a bad turn this year when there was a post-game. Basically, I don't want to say it was a fight because it was a beat down. Some, some Michigan players tried to enter the tunnel and basically got jumped. By, we don't know all the details of how it started, but there were criminal charges brought against football players. So one felony, several misdemeanors. That's highly unusual and took an already inflamed situation between these two rivals and just blew it up to epic proportions. And readers, there was, you follow our Facebook pages, you know that the U of M and MSU fans are going at it there. But that, Everybody denounced it on all sides. It's, you know, it's just utterly indefensible that something like that would happen. So, you know, I'm sure there, that was the second incident in the tunnel in about three weeks because Penn State, there had been some pushing and shoving in there too. So I'm sure they're going to be reviewing that. On your side of the state, a couple of things, Eric, were that our prize mm -hmm. um, came yeah, to just, an end. Yeah. And, and they're, they're saying they're keeping the name, they're kind of keeping the spirit alive. They'll right. figure something out. But really, for all intents and purposes, right, it's what we knew is our prize is over. Yeah, it's it's interesting on that one because we're, we don't have a lot of details they haven't said yet. There's, you know, three agencies that have kind of taken it over to keep it going, one of them being the city of Grand Rapids. 
And they haven't really said a lot of details other than it's art prize 2.0 and they're keeping stuff the same. And the, the thing is, what does that mean? We don't know because really art prize kind of went for a while where you knew what you were going to get and you'd get big crowds and everything. Then you could start to feel maybe it was waning. And so they tried some different stuff, the former art prize, you know, organizers and some of it didn't work. And then we had COVID and everything else. And now we've reached this point. So what is, we're going to keep stuff the same or keep the spirit alive. Is it the old spirit, you know, that did so well, but maybe was waning where people were getting bored of it, I guess, for lack of a word, like it's the same old, same old, or does it mean we're trying new things to just try to keep it, you know, to keep, try, try to see what the next thing is. So I, I, I don't know we're we're waiting to, to, to hear that for sure, what the, what their plans. And then another story, it was really a sad story, but so well done by Ryan Baldry, but there was a young couple boyfriend, girlfriend, they've been together since high school and they drowned apparently together or within moments of each other. And in, in Lake Michigan, it highlights something we've been writing about for the last several years, which is the dangers, Lake Michigan, riptides and, and all that stuff. But uh, readers really took to that story. It was really sensitively told and well told by, by Ryan Bouldry. So we're getting to the end of the podcast here. I want a uh, big breaking news story that we covered this year, I just want to note, is Tornado and Gaylord. Yeah. The nearest paper is an hour and a half or two, two hours from Gaylord. But we mobilized uh, all of our resources to get up there and tell the story of a community that was devastated by a pretty massive tornado. Two people died. Forty were injured. Before Memorial Day. Yeah, a week. Their biggest tourist days of the year. Yeah, we had to tell that story too and how the community rallied because they they needed the tourists to come back. But that was a big breaking news story. Really quickly, Detroit Lions, knock on wood. Jesus. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to hex it, but around these parts, that's a pretty big story if they even sniff the playoffs. So right. let's, let's wish them luck. And, okay, we're going to wrap this up. I'm going to give you a, a little, we're going to count down the five most read stories that were not lottery or weather because i'm not counting lottery okay, <laughs> okay. But if you count lottery and weather they, they make up like four of the, the top five but not counting those number five this is what the readers read the most number five homicides are down but michigan has a new most violent city that was number five and that city was anybody want to guess saginaw, it was saginaw. saginaw. number four this you got to watch the video on this one because that's what makes it Intoxicated driver does Dukes of Hazard jump yeah, over highway bridge. Remember that? Yeah. We have like some dash cam video of that, and it's, it has to be seen to be believed. So if you're listening to this podcast, just put M Live Dukes of Hazard, and you will <laughs> see this video. For sure. As I mentioned, number three, James Franklin, he's the Penn State coach, wants Big Ten to act after halftime incident at Michigan. That was in the tunnel, and it foreshadowed what was to come a few weeks later with Michigan State. Number two, Northern Michigan City ranked number one best, most affordable place to retire in the U.S. And that city is? It's Traverse City. Traverse City? It is Traverse City. That was our number two. And drum roll for the number one story. Come on, one of you can guess it. Oh, jeez. Have we already talked about it? No. Oh, no. no, no, no. no. That was a Rose White story. Oh, so, yes, the, the, tr the tr Amtrak. Amtrak train ride from hell. Yes, there you go. <laughs> okay, I remember that. Uh, passengers flee Amtrak's train. It was a nineteen for some people. It was a nineteen-hour you know, odyssey through hell. They got on a train. The trains. I was along, so you got to read it. But overflowing toilets and medical emergencies, no food, no power. 
And it was a trip from the started in the Detroit area, was going to Chicago. And we actually had a coworker who was <laughs> on the walk. Had to get out at night and walk through a field to call an Uber. But these these stories are still on him live. You can go back and read them. And as always, it is never a dull moment in the news business. No, no, you couldn't see that coming. Don't you think it resonated with people just thinking, oh my gosh, if you know, if they had been there with their own family, they start to, they start to visualize what that would turn into. Oh, can't imagine. Well, and then they, you know, train ride was half the deal. Then dealing with Amtrak, trying to get your money yeah. back or vouchers. All that too, but thank you so much, Eric and Leanne, for joining today. It's always never a dull moment at M Live in the news business. And thanks for joining me on the last Behind the Headlines podcast of the year. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you, Jack. You too. Thanks, John. You too. That's all for today's episode of Behind the Headlines. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to share the episode and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you value the hard work of journalists like those in our MLive newsrooms, make sure to subscribe to MLive at MLive.com slash subscribe. That also makes a great last minute holiday gift. We'll see you here next time on Behind the Headlines. Have a happy holiday season.